Hi, this is Cliff Griego for the picture-poems.com website and the circle and the square. Thanks for tuning in. This is number four of our new series of poems to live by. It's the 17th of April, 2018. I'm up at uh, Heartbreak Meadow for frequent listeners that's one of our base camps that's in the uh, magical middle realm. So it's in the montane zone, right about uh, 1,420 meters. So it's neither too high nor too low. You're not in canyon country, and you're not quite in the alpine zone, um, where it's now still very much uh, deep winter. So it's a transition zone. In Northeast Oregon, it's where you come into the center of the conifer forest. So there are old growth ponderosa pines, dug firs, larches, white and grand fir, and uh, uh, spruce all around me. And uh, it's a special time of year as well, because we're right in the middle of the great uh, spring uh, snow melt. But uh, poems to live by. So this is our fourth one. I don't know if you can quite hear it, but uh, it's still uh, early in the morning. It's about five o'clock natural time. It's uh, uh, first light not quite direct sunlight here at camp, although we're probably not going to have any sunlight today, so I'm going to uh, move right along with this Poems to Live By because we don't have much sun to charge our devices today. But as I sit here, warm and secure inside my little base camp uh, uh, shelter uh, tent uh, bromine. I'm listening. Can you quite hear that? I'm not quite sure. I'm using a new microphone. By the way, it's a gift to the gods. I was snowshoeing up here, (coughs) excuse me, a week ago. And I got up to uh, uh, where the world begins anew, a a flat, uh, open meadow. And I looked down at my snowshoes. I said, oh, I think I'm going to take these off because I don't need them. I was pulling my sled. And I looked down at the snow and I said, what is that? I said, oh, well, wouldn't you know, it's something I couldn't really afford, really. And an official Apple lightning adapter uh, 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 for a uh, cell phone, which I'm using right now to record this, uh, with a little microphone built in the cable. I said, oh, well, (laughs) and of course it's white, like they make their products to stand out. And it was there in the snow, and I said, well, gee, a gift of the gun. So I picked it up, and when you know it, it still works. I don't have any idea who lost it, bless them, uh, uh, for the uh, gift. And uh, we're using it right now, and it seems to be working. Well, poems to live by. 
So I'm listening to a flicker that's drumming in the distance. Well, with climate crisis, he must be getting confused. They are the males that are drumming. And he's working around the great ecotone of Heartbreak Meadow. And now he's probably about 200 meters to our left, the um, southeast, right about where, if we did have clear skies, we would see that magnificent Oregon blue sky. But today uh, we're deep in climate crisis up here, so it's back to winter. It's about minus three degrees Celsius. And there's the first of the seasonal uh, bad energy cold fronts that's ripping down the trough northern side of the jet stream. So it's not only cold, it's extremely dry air, remarkably dry. It's so dry that I'll actually suck up a snowpack, which is something that has to be seen to believe. And it dries out everything that's alive up here, uh, especially uh, the trees and how it affects them in this time, the transitional time. I'm not quite sure, but... Uh, there's no better way than to experience it on your own physical instrument, your body. If you want to know the mountains, go to the mountains. Well, that flicker, can you hear it? No. That uh, uh, those are poems to live by. Let's let that sink in. Poems to live by. You see, everything up here, do you hear that? That's a uh, robin. That's a native invasive. He's already stopped singing at 5 o'clock natural time. You abbreviate that with an NT. That's important for naturalists and photographers not to get sucked into this uh, daylight saving stuff because it just destroys your sense of rhythm. But poems to live by. You see, they totally embody and are their music, their sound, their poetry. They totally embody and are their music, sound, and poetry. Well, think of that. That's not teaching something at a university to students who don't really care about anything. And no. It's not publishing an article in the New York Times about poetry. It's not uh, collecting a book of poems no, it's much deeper. It's much more profound than that. And one of the things we look at in Poems to Live By is the dominance of eye culture and the fragmentation of poetry from the heart. From the body. And therefore, from the earth.
if we have no sense of our physical body as a kind of yoga, a kind of Alexander technique, then I don't really see how we can have a sense of earth. Well, poems to live by. The poem I had in mind uh, this morning is another Rilke piece in one of our translations. It's called uh, Entrance. That's a nice title, isn't it? I'm listening to the flicker and to this wind. This wind, if you're up here, uh, is absolutely horrifying. It has a different sound and a different energy. Do you hear that? That's the flicker calling out. Poems to live by. So is that an ambition? <clears throat> no. Perhaps it's an intention that our poetry and our music be us. Not just something we do to get a degree or to uh, get more likes on Facebook and Twitter or whatever. But it is me. It is a part of the land, a part of the earth. Well, there you have it. In English, more than any other language, because English is the language of empire, it has been that way for the past three or four hundred years, that uh, English speakers are notorious, in my view, for not having a sense of place. And why? Uh, because they don't have to. <laughs> they come in and take, take over places. <laughs> that's their specialty. And that's left a very deep scar on the spirit of English both in its sound, in its uh, usage, its literature. I don't know if that's coming through our new little microphone here, the flicker. Poems to live by. So in my view, it's not possible to self-consciously say, like we could start a festival and call it, well, we're going to have the poetry of uh, Oregon or the Wagawas or America or whatever. And you, in my view, uh, that will is doomed to not just failure, but to self-deception. And it all comes down to this difference between the mere projection of a thought, uh, like the projection of the idea of peace in contrast to the practice, the actual practice, like a yoga, like an Alexander technique of nonviolence. They are not related. Peace and nonviolence are not related. Peace is just a thought. The actual truth, the actual fact, is violence. It's everywhere, including in our poetry and in our relationship to poetry. 
So all we can possibly do, because we don't know what peace is, is take away the violence. That we can know. And how do we know that? By looking at the contradictions, the frictions, where we've gone wrong. Whoever you are, step out into the evening, out of your living room, where everything is so known. Your house stands as the last thing before great space, whoever you are. So that's the beginning of entrance. Wer du auch seist, whoever you are, Eingang. Wer du auch seist, whoever you are. That's a very strong five-step phrase in English. Da, 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 da. One, two, three, four, five. That goes right out into space. And if we're really doing it like that flicker, it directly enters and speaks to our heart. Whoever you are, step out into the evening out of your living room. That's the university where you're at, where you're teaching, the little festival that you're organizing, the little journal that you organize. Step out of that. Let it go. That's all just the known. Poetry is out here, somewhere out here. Out where? Into the unknown. It's a very beautiful entrance to the beginning of a new way of doing poetry. Whoever you are, step out into the evening, out of your living room, where everything is so known. Your house stands as the last thing before great space, whoever you are. With your eyes, which in their fatigue can just barely free themselves from the used-up, worn-out thresholds. Very slowly lift a single black tree and place it against the sky, slender and alone. With this you have made the world and it is large and like a word that is still ripening in silence. And just as your will grasps their meaning, they in turn will let go delicately of your eyes. Well, there's our poem to live by. That's the whole of it. Now, if we were not doing picture-poems.com, but that other project that I do that's intimately related for musicians, poets, and dancers, called The Circle and the Square, it's at cs-music.com. That's important to remember because... We're witnessing the collapse of the social machine all around us, Facebook, Twitter, and all the rest of it. 
and hopefully we'll get back to a decentralized democratic web, which was its origin. So um, independent websites again might be useful. <laughs> it's a project, the circle and the square. When we're working on poems like this, it's a part of poems to live by and that flicker to our southeast. Well, we do a, we use a technique that's called talking hands, talking feet. I don't really want to go into the details of that, but it's uh, a whole practice, and it does take uh, uh, some time to learn. It's um, about like learning to play the violin or the trombone or the piano. Uh, but it's absolutely, I think, uh, uh, wonderful and liberating. One of the things that we do is that we count uh, steps, or what are traditionally called syllables, but steps is a better word, I think, because it's self-referential. It is what it talks about, step. That's one step with the foot. And it's this relationship of the foot and the tongue and dance, rhythm, and poetry, and music. It's all moving as one. And you can go back and give emphasis to poetry, give emphasis to sound, give emphasis to meaning, give emphasis, and even step it into melody and music. Um, well, if we were to look at this little poem, which is immense in a way, Entrance, Eingang, the real Capice, well, it has 132 steps. Now, say we were privileged. I met three young people a year and a half ago, wonderful, from Princeton, and just sparkling, uh, uh, lively intellects. It was just wonderful talking to them. And uh, we were all on the road. And if I were privileged in talking to... Uh, people of such intellect and background, fluent in, in uh, sciences and mathematics, then it's a very interesting concept that's highly mathematical. It's called uh, relational resonance. Now, if I'm speaking to poets, I've already lost them. And if I'm speaking to most musicians, I've already lost them too, even though music, classical music, is a kind of uh, mathematics. And uh, you can very easily go back and forth, forth between the two, depending on your tradition, qualitative, quantitative, and whatnot. But relational resonance, if you want to experience it, find somewhere, nowadays you have to go to the periphery garbage dump to find a Steinway grand piano, an acoustic piano, and push down the sustaining pedal and uh, play a simple melody. There are just any notes at random. It makes no difference. And all of those sounds begin to fold into this magical space. So you actually hear time becoming space. Now, so perhaps if you're a mathematician and listening to this, you're starting to see what's going on here. Because we don't know how we make melody. Because in actual perception, we only hear one sound at a time. 
So how is pattern created? Like that sentence, how is pattern created? How is pattern created? That's seven steps. Now let that sink in and you can meditate on it. Well, there are mathematical principles involved here that are pointing to something. You see, if you have a very simple poem, say like a uh, haiku, a set, what I call a 17-step poem, which I think is infinitely preferable, because you don't want to have a fixed thing like 575 or whatnot. What you want are just 17 steps that have infinite variability in terms of their rhythm of stresses, long, short uh, tones, whatnot. But if you take one like uh, that's not a poem, but that's relevant here uh, by uh, Alexander, the founder of the Alexander Technique, it goes like this. You can't do something you don't know if you keep on doing what you know. That's 17 steps. Um, now notice that if you're not looking at it in a printed page, this is very revealing psychologically, um, you have no way of knowing that it's 17 steps. It's like when you look at a tweet, we're not a computer, right? We have no idea what 140 or now 280 characters are. You have to have a computer do it for you. That's why the reason is, is that the visual notation is totally irrelevant for the ear, but not steps. That's a very different measure that is extremely relevant to perception. But the number of characters in a word, that's totally arbitrary in a way. Um, so steps. In a 17-step poem, there are 289 relationships in terms of relational resonance. That's 17 times 17. So into the nth is the mathematical formula that you use for that. And it's universal. And it goes up exponentially very quickly. And there's something that's very revealing about consciousness and also composition, poems to live by. Well, that entrance that we just did, that's 132 steps. But that doesn't sound a whole lot more than just 17, right? But that's 17,242 relational resonances. Now, I know for people in poetry and music, they're not going to be able to follow what I'm talking about. But just bear with me that composition is about being supremely awakened and sensitive to that grand piano that's now on the periphery garbage dump. They're actually trashing Steinway pianos in New York City. Think of it, that nobody wants to have... To, them in their living rooms anymore. It's just a little synthesizer. Well, if you can find an acoustic piano, 
play 132 notes. I bet you won't be able to count them. You'll lose track of them before you can get that far. Well, in the circle and the square, we've developed all kinds of techniques in order to be able to master that, like you'll master a Bach uh, uh, violin sonata. It's not easy, but it is liberating. So, there are 132 steps. Now, the sign of real poetry, of real sound, you see that little one we did of Alexander, that's not a poem. Why? Because it has no sound and no images, nothing. But it is remarkable as an aphorism. You can't do something you don't know if you keep on doing what you know. So it's directly related to our real Whoever you are, step out into the evening, out of your living room. That's a German living room, not an American living room. Like I imagine it high in the Alps of Stube. That's where you have all your family heirlooms going back generation after generation. It's where you seek protection in the dead of winter. Stubas are very, very, very important places, the center of the household. Step out of your living room where everything is so known. You see, that protected space can become a prison. So that must be what Rilke is pointing to. And I'm sure he's pointing to himself, too. Whoever you are, step out of your living room, out into the evening, out of your living room, where everything is so known. That's where it connects up with the Alexander. You can't do something you don't know if you keep on doing what you know. Well, there's something very profound in that. That's why the Alexander technique is so mysterious. In yoga, in its very beginnings, was that way too, although now it's become more just that a series of exercises that Hollywood stars do. But its inception was questioning perception, the wheel of thought, and how the past embodied in habit becomes locked in to the physical body. And notice that Rilke, already a hundred years ago, is pointing to something that has now thoroughly taken hold of, I was going to say, Western culture, but it's now with especially the World Wide Web and the Internet becoming world culture. Is I dominance. That we think with our eyes, the wheel of thought, that Patanjali, already two and a half millennia, was talking about the beginnings, the inception of yoga, a kind of reaction to Buddhism. Well, it's gotten vastly worse. And we as musicians, as classical musicians, all you have to do is watch a symphony orchestra play. That's not music making. They're all locked into this narrow bandwidth of the eyes. 
They're not using their ears. They're using their eyes. They're listening through their eyes. So you can't do something you don't know if you keep on doing what you know. As long as you stay in that world, you're never going to see it. But if you step out of that world, and that's what Rilke is asking us to do, perhaps that flicker over there drumming on that tree with his own poetry, his own music, well, Imagine a music, a poetry, being so specific to a place. So let's do that. Let's have a poetry of this place. You see how you're stuck in that pattern of thought again. You create an image of what that might sound like. And then you're right back into almost as bad as organized religion, even Buddhism of self-deception. The wheel of truth and function only takes away. It only takes away contradiction. And once our poetry, once our music has a deep resonance with the truth of a place, we won't even know it. It would be totally unselfconscious. Very slowly lift a single black tree and place it against the sky, slender and alone. Isn't that beautiful? To really see the tree with our whole being. Well, that's what we're doing up here. is working on the trees and trying to learn from them. And brothers and sisters, it's happening much more quickly than anyone thought ever was possible. The falling about a part of the climate of the Holocene of the past 10,000 years that has been a very great gift to our species. This wind, what does it do to the aspen? All around me, I'm surrounded by aspen, the most dominant species of North America. And they're all dying. Why? Just two years ago, on the 19th of April, almost two years to the day, right at this very same camp, I went out early into the morning to fetch water and all of a sudden through the entire aspen grove poplar borers, a kind of beetle, had all exited in synchrony during that night. So what did I see? Exit holes the size, they looked like they'd been shot with a forty-five, a big slug. And there was frass lying in the snow. It was still snow on the ground. They had all exited the trees at the same time. How did they do that? They can't see each other. So there are many mysteries <laughs> that I think in I-dominant culture where we have not just losing 
but were lost a long time ago. Very slowly lift a single aspen tree and place it against the sky, slender and alone. With this you have made the world. Isn't that beautiful? With this you have made the world. And it is large and like a word that is still ripening in silence. See, those are two phrases, both based on the breath. One is 23, the other one 24 steps. And then he ends, and we'll end our poems to live by with that. And just as your will grasps their meaning, they in turn will let go delicately of your eyes. Poems to live by. Up here, the visual world is not like Facebook, not like Twitter worse than the Catholic Church, trying to come in and colonize spirit of even the youngest human beings to monetize that spirit, the very essence of evil. And they call themselves progressive? Well, threefold revolution. If there's no revolution of consciousness, and a complete commitment to the journey of nonviolence. Digital technology, what's being demonstrated, will lock down the world into an authoritarianism beyond all compare. But up here in wilderness, there's not a trace of it. Okay, that's it for now. A lot to go into. One last thought is that Poems to Live By is a part of the dialogue circle. So when you really get into the energy of insight, the origin of poetry, all kinds of assumptions start to come up. And we become aware of them. It's not just putting a pretty dress onto language. It's much deeper than that. Okay, check out that website, The Circle and the Square. And we'll be doing another tape on talking hands, talking feet. Learn that Ryoka, make a recording of it. You can use your eyes at first and then liberate yourself. And once you know that poem by heart, it can change one's being to the very core. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now.
This is Cliff signing off for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square.